Hey, this is Kurt Tufert, Vice President of Sales Development for DXP. If you're wanting to learn how to embrace change and navigate through disruption as a leader, then listen to the Leadership is Changing podcast with my good friend, Dennis Giannoussos. Welcome to Leadership is Changing. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change. This is taking your leadership to another level by finding the balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Hey, welcome to the show, Leadership is Changing. What we as leaders know to be true is that change is constant. Leaders everywhere confront similar obstacles because people are people, but everywhere you go, leaders are overwhelmed, disrupted, and under pressure. They run from email to email, meeting to meeting. Many leaders are not changing quick enough, which means they run the risk of becoming irrelevant and being left behind. Perhaps the show is taking our listeners' leadership to another level by finding their balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. I believe we don't have enough effective leaders in the world today, and if we can get the leaders to step up and lead change, then they can inspire real change. Hey, listeners, it's now time to adapt in our fast-moving world. Hey, listeners, welcome to today's episode. Great to have you with us here. Um, I have a wonderful guest with me today. His name is uh, Kurt Tufit, and he is the Vice President of Sales Development for DXP, a Houston, Texas-based $1 billion industrial distributor. Kurt is also the professor at the University of Houston, where he teaches sales and marketing. He wrote a book, uh, The Five Stones for Slaying Giants, and continues to speak professionally across the United States. Uh, he currently, he's part of the Salesforce rollout to over 200 outside salespeople and developing a few marketing promotional videos as part of his role as the VP of Sales Development. Kurt, a massive welcome to you. Hey, Dennis, good afternoon or good morning, depending upon where your listeners are listening from. I am so excited to be on your show today. Great. Wonderful to have you here. Now, whereabouts in the world are you today? You know, I'm in Houston, Texas, and where it's still spring, but it's starting to leave us to the humidity of summer. Ah, uh, yeah. It gets very humid there, huh? Um, it's sticky. Yeah, yeah. I get, I, I've been there a few times, and it's just so hot. Um, but And even, I thought Dallas was hot, but then when I got to Houston, it was like, well, the humidity is just amazing. Um, but a wonderful place to be. And uh, in fact, I would love to move there. Um, very, very, I, I love that whole Texas area. People say to me, what, Texas? And I'm like, are you crazy? Texas is great. I think it's awesome. But um, hey, that's all good. Now, Kurt, um, we, I've given a brief introduction to our, our listeners. Now, anything else you want to share about your background? Sure. You know, as the uh, VP of sales development for a large company, there is a lot of leadership that comes through, whether it's sales leadership or customer leadership. Uh, this rollout that we're doing of a very complex piece of software called Salesforce is rolling out to at least 200 outside salespeople plus 200 inside sales people plus support and staff. And without any kind of a clarity or direction, we can drift very quickly. And I'm finding myself trying to work with very opinionated adults and uh, yeah. anyone who's leading a person or a team who are in management or supervision. I hope you can empathize with me or sympathize that this is not an easy endeavor. 
And the opinions, is that because they all think they know how to do it better? Um, what's the opinions, sort of the, the main themes, if I can put it that way? Well, some people think they can roll it out better. Other people are, why are we even doing this? Mm. And so the resistance comes from a rollout where this is change. People are afraid of change, whether it's change in management, change in direction, change in software. And we're doing all of this. And it, it can be a little bit uh, a little bit of a pushback. Yeah, you're so right. I mean, change is not just about a organization doing a restructure. It could be anything that we're doing. As you said, direction. It could be a brand new system, processes being put in, technology coming along, um, even just people changing our roles and things like that. There's changes everywhere. And it's how people accept that change and then move forward. And I think there's a big thing that, you know, there's a program that I do, and it's more about how do we actually lead change? Because one thing is for us to go through change personally, but the other thing is actually for us to lead the change. And I think it's quite interesting to see how that happens. And um, uh, I've got a program that I, I, I deploy and, and, and uh, deliver to, to leaders and get them to start thinking a little bit differently and, uh, and starting to move forward, which is, which is interesting. Now, Kurt, how did you get into leadership? Mm. You know, I've, I've tried to find my place in the world by trying to volunteer at first for any type of position that would get me into a leadership role. Mm. Uh, going through going through college, getting into my early careers, uh, even wanting to be a professional speaker on leadership, I was uh, mentored early on that uh, when, when my mentor said, I understand you want to teach about leadership. Are you doing any leadership? And I had to reflect back on thinking, no, I'm not leading anything or anybody right now. So over many, many decades, I found myself leading organizations, volunteer organizations. I just got back from doing a men's retreat where I was leading 33 people serving about 100 people. And there's a lot of leadership in in all different kinds of eclectic natures. And I just kind of gravitate toward that and just learn as I go. Yeah, awesome. And when you say you uh, learn as you grow, what do you learn? I mean, if you're actually there to help other people, are you learning at the same time? How are you learning from, from that experience? I'm, I'm observing and I'm understanding. I'm trying to become a student of psychology or a student of behavior. As you just said in the beginning, Dennis, that change management, you're, you're, you have a program to help leaders in change. Change is so fearful. Even if I'm just moving from left to right, mm. from the left hallway to the right hallway, people are stopping and saying, we've never done that before. We've never done it that way before. Why are we doing that? That's an honest fear uh, reflex on people. And I need to slow down and coach them as to the why, even though my behavioral style is I'm very much a driver, do it my way because I said to do it my way. Well, I found that that is not working very well in 2022 when there's so much um, sharing and collaboration that could take place. Yeah, it's interesting to see how the human behavior or the way that people react to certain situations. Uh, and you're so right. I mean, it's the why is one thing. And I think what you are as being a driver, that's the what. And then if I think about the the how, there's the analytical people who are wanting to know what the steps are and, and um, when are we going to do, you know, what's the next thing, where are we going in the plan? Um, so you're having to cater to all those different people as well and, and coach them through it as well. Kurt, I find that the word coach is really interesting with a lot of leaders. Uh, I'd love to get your thoughts on this as well, is that there are people out there who tell people to do things uh, versus those who actually need to coach people. Um, how are you finding that the difference between those two things? 
I'm finding that we're still in a slippery area where there are still people who gravitate to the authoritative leadership of a militaristic style, do this because I said so. And then there's a whole group of people who who are revolting against that type of leadership, and they're looking for collaboration. They're looking for coaching. If myself, I started with the authority, the authority complex. I'll do it because you're my boss and you asked me to do it. Now, as I'm getting older, I'm asking more, can you, can, can you give me a reason why we're doing this? And, you know, Simon Sinek is a phenomenal writer who wrote a book. Of, it starts with why. Mm. And, and if we can at least try to articulate why we're about to do what we're going to do and then repeat it, rehearse it, reframe it, recolor it, we will slowly get more people to adopt it rather than the militaristic do it because I'm the authority figure. I, I just... I think that's just having a hard time sticking today. Yeah, I love it. I love the way you've actually shared that about the reframing, the recoloring. You know, I love that. I think that's that's spot on. Now, here's a question for you. Now, this person could be alive or from history. Now, who's your favorite leader and why? I really struggle with that question, Dennis, because there are leaders for different things. I, I, I think back of the people who I really like. I like Martin Luther King because he led a movement, and that movement was very emotive. I like Tony Robbins because he's a leader in a motivational standpoint. Um, I like a man who leads his family because that's the tradition I come from. And so there's many, many different leaders that I, that I see and I respect because of that. And I think we're, we're kind of in a, in a vacuum right now. We, we, we hear about people who are leaders whether it's more of a motivational or more of an inspirational social or even a, a religious, and then they go and they fall and they are hypocrites and they do damage. And that damages all of leaders that we all get slapped in the face as we stand in line with that. And it's really difficult. And so I, I pick my leaders based on what they do and how they're doing it for that particular scenario. So if we take Martin Luther King or we take Tony Robbins, because the two names you've just mentioned, if you sat on a park bench with one of them, I don't know which one you want to choose, what would be the question you want to ask them? First, I'd go to Martin Luther King and then I'd say, how did you stay motivated when the world was so literally against you? And again, this is earlier than when I grew up, so I'm, I can't even go back and think that way. And if that was Martin Luther on my left and I had Tony Robbins on my right, I, I would say, Tony, tell me more about how not having food on the table motivated you to feed a billion people. And, and how did you stay motivated when the world was against you? Yeah, I, I think that's great. Oh, interesting. You took two of them on either side of the park bench. That's pretty cool. I actually throw that question at my, at my uh, guests as well because I think it's quite important for us to understand there's a burning question we've probably got to ask them or we want to ask them, and um, I think it's good. The reason I ask it as well is that I think one big thing here, Kurt, that you talked about, you know, when you're talking about the coaching and helping people through things and so forth, it all comes down to questions. And if I can get you to share with our listeners a question you might ask, I think that's pretty, pretty cool because I think it's a really good learning for them as well, uh, which is good. Now, the show here is called Leadership is Changing. That's the title. If I say that title or that statement, what does that mean for Kurt? I think leadership is changing from that that maybe the 70s and 80s authoritative to the 90s and the early 2000s servant leader. What does that mean? 
And now we're moving into a coach mentoring role. I think leadership continues to ebb and flow and evolve. And, and I think now we're trying to collaborate because the world is smaller, technology is larger, there's more tools available for us to help in our leadership advancement. Yeah, I like that. The stages of coaching, of, of leadership, sorry, authority to servant leadership and then onto the more of a coaching collaborative side of things. I, I love that. I think that's that's a beautiful way to say it, actually, because you can see the different stages over the years and um, it's really good. Now, you and I are living in a world whereby it's fast-paced, <laughs> ever-changing, and, and it's around data, technical, social, business, uh, even science, I'd add in there. It's just moving so fast. How, how, what makes a leader successful in today's fast-paced, ever-changing world? I wish there was a one-size-fits-all answer, Dennis, for that one, because then you and I would be on a remote island, you know, just mm. enjoying life. I think what makes a leader successful today in this fast-paced world is our ability to communicate and adapt. Communicate in so many different ways, whether it's visual, kinesthetic, or auditory, and adapt on a nanosecond. For instance, in 2019, we were talking on a telephone and conference calling with voices from a black box. Not 24 months later, we're using Zoom and, and, and Teams and we're adapting. Now leadership has a visual aspect to it. And while we could lament the fact that we have to go on another Zoom call, we can, car- we can communicate ideas in PowerPoint and in image and in video and collaborate instantaneously, which allows our leadership to be able to move the message faster to the masses. Yeah, I think I thought that was a massive change for a lot of people. Uh, just imagine if you and I owned shares within Zoom. I mean, that would have been pretty cool, wouldn't it? We've, <laughs> we would have done very well out of it. But, um, who'd have thought? Who'd have yeah, thunk? Who'd have thought, yeah. But um, the other thing is that I'm, I think that a lot of organizations, there's some that actually were already doing that quite a lot and also have that, that sort of hybrid working from home and so forth. I mean, I worked from home for quite a lot, many years because of my global role. If I wasn't traveling, I was either working from home, when the office, very, very little. Um, but then, you know, there's a lot of organizations that didn't do that at all. And now having to go home and work from home, that transition was really big. Did you, with you and your employees and the organization you were at, um, did they have to go home and work from home? And what was that transition like? You know, we were faced with that on the immediacy. Yes, we we basically disbanded our corporate office, a four-story building in Houston, Texas. We made the decision that we wanted to keep our employees safe. And again, when you were in the throes of this, you had no idea what was going on in 2020. March of 2020, we disbanded. We moved away. I wrote notes. I created training videos on how do we how to work remotely from home. And then we started using and adopting this new technology. And now we're finding in such a short amount of time, think of history and think about how things were created and adopted within decades. Now in two to three years, we've got this new technology that allows our employees who we thought needed to come to the office because of the agrarian society, they can be just as productive at home, just not to find from eight to five in a cubicle on the third floor off to the left. And we're still trying to recover and scratch our heads going, are we ever going to be back Mm. to fighting the traffic to go to that downtown to pay a hundred dollars a month in parking to sit in the same cubicle you could sit at home for? Wow. 
Yeah, that's that's amazing. That whole just that whole thought you just mentioned there, right? Is amazing. Even just sitting in the traffic to go to the office and that transition, um, because we didn't we don't actually have that transition between the office and and uh, well, home and office and office home. That's 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 one thing. But the other thing too is. Are you back in the office now? Uh, are people coming back into the office? How How is that transi- transition back from home into the office now? What's that been like in the U.S.? In, in the U.S., what has happened is they've not all come back. Mm. Maybe it's from fear or maybe it's from, you know, the, the, the policies, whether they're from the U.S. government or, or coming down to the individual company. We've also found that some people are coming back on maybe Tuesdays and Thursdays or Mondays and Fridays. And they can still collaborate. They can still put their teams together and get their work done. However, we're starting to adapt on that one. Since I work in a marketing role, I believe that marketing people need to be together because we create things. But 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 maybe we don't have to be creative, creative every day. And so maybe some of these marketing people can work from home. But we have our sessions, our times where we come together, we're locked in a room, and we get that creativity that's different. That's change. And I don't think we're going back to 2019. Okay. That's good to know. And the creativity side of things, bringing people together and being more creative. Have you found people are a lot more creative when they're face-to-face or has it not really changed any different? A little bit of creativity. The the tragic nature of that is that there are people with a very extroverted, spontaneous personality that they're creative on a moment's notice. Right. And if you and I were to go to a meeting and say, okay, Thursday at three o'clock, Dennis, we have to be creative and go. We may not bring our creative clothes to that meeting and it's it's a forced march and it's very difficult. Yeah, I suppose that's true. I mean, it's uh, yeah, interesting how you say it. it's not just an on-off switch. It's, it's something that comes. I Actually, I think about that's the same as me uh, myself. If I think about it, that sometimes it might be 2 a.m. in the morning I wake up with an idea and next minute I'm in my office and next minute I'm brainstorming and, and next minute I'm like, wow, and I can't wait for my partner to wake up because then I want to share it with her and tell her what's going on and all that stuff and hurry up and wake up. But, you know, it's just amazing how it comes to you at the time and so the right time is when it's the right time. Um, it's not a specific time that's in our calendar now, Kurt, we've been talking about leaders and through the lenses of leadership. Um, if we start thinking about employees and through the lenses of an employee, how has employee expectations of leaders changed? Mm, gosh, what a great question, Dennis. How has expectations of employees changed? You know, as a leader, I'm finding people are either jaded or hungry. Mm. They're, they're jaded because of of whatever life is thrown at them. And so their trust resistors are on full alert. And so they're maybe not going along that quickly. And then there's in a vacuum where people are hungry for authentic leadership, whether it's servant-based, coaching-based, maybe it's just authoritative, but, but they're looking for that one in a season. And we as leaders have to understand in certain seasons, we may change our leadership style because of the objective of trying to get something done. We don't have four weeks. We only have four days. So we got to change our style. Or maybe we have a long runway. And so we have to change our style from authoritative to more collaborative in order to get more people nodding their head in the right direction. Mm, So that adapting based on the situation and based on the season 
is something that's very important for people to understand. And I think you're talking about talking about four before about authority or authoritative servanthood, and then on to being the coach and collaborative is yes. something that we've been thinking about. Interesting how you talk about the different uh, seasons and and possibly I've added in the word the situation as well, but I think you're right. And it's different seasons coming through and, and over the last two years has probably been a season for us, right? It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's been a, it's been a, a dramatic change for us. It's been almost like we've all been drinking out of the fire hose because of that change. None of us wanted it, but it was thrown at us, and we've had to learn to adapt, be resilient. Um, did we like it? No. It was amazing to watch various people around the world, leaders that I was speaking to, squirming at the fact that this was happening and how can this happen? And uh, I even had one leader, Kurt, turn around and say to me this, hey, I'm just going to sit it out. I'm going to wait for the wind to blow over. And I was like, what? No, you're not. And he goes, what do you mean? I says, no, you need to stand up now because your team need you now more than ever. Are you finding that leaders, this this is a question I want to ask you, is that did you find within your organization or leadership in general, right? Because, uh, you know, in the industry and out, out in the market, did you find that leaders who had a title of a manager or certain title some of them did stand up, um, step up and others didn't throughout the pandemic side of things and others who didn't stood up. What did you experience? I, I think I experienced a little bit of both. People who had the right title, role, and responsibility couldn't handle it. They mm. weren't trained for this. And so they, out of fear, went backwards. Instead of speeding up, they slowed down. Others who might not have had the title but had a burning desire to make sure that we don't miss a step, we don't miss a beat, they stepped up into that. And boy, you really can tell a lot when it has to, you know, when your feet are held to the fire. Just because I have a title, I'm making the assumption you know what to do. No, I don't know what to do. And so we're back to that whole communication. If you don't know what to do in a pandemic, just admit it. Mm. You know, and if you and if you think you have some ideas and you don't have that title, raise your hand. And if we just continue to strive to have kind of an open minded, open door policy, those great ideas come from the field. Most of the time they come from the field and we go, you know, that's a great idea. Just because I didn't think of it doesn't mean it isn't valid. Let's run it to ground. And if it seems like it's the right thing, let's do it. Let's act on it. Yeah, that's that's wonderful. I love it. If you don't know, put your hand up. And if you don't think of it and someone else does think of it, doesn't mean it's not valid. I, I really, really like that, Kurt. Now, Kurt, you're in your my introduction of you, we talked about you've written a book called Five Stones for Slaying Giants. What's the book about? Great question. I wrote that book as a professional speaker in a publisher parish kind of uh, launching your business. I've always been passionate about what differentiates people in academics, business, and sports. What makes them tick? And so I wrapped the five stones around the uh, old Bible story of David and Goliath. David goes to the stream. He picks up one stone. If you read further in the text, Goliath had four brothers. And I'm making the assumption that those four brothers were also in the battle. And if David was going to take on and defeat one brother, those four were going to step up. So he goes to the stream, picks up the five stones. And then I modernized it and said, those five stones for sales, for leadership, for customer service, it's passion, excellence, vision, value, and confidence. 
If you've got those five stones, you can slay those giants that are lined up in front of you trying to take you out. Yeah, wonderful. Well, listeners, if you haven't already, get that book, have a uh, read of it, because I think it's a wonderful book. Some really, really good subjects there. Now, Kurt, I'm going to get you to get your crystal ball out here, if you can, and start talking about the future. Uh, Where do you see leadership being in five years? If I could, you know, bend the horizon and peek around the corner to find out what's happening in 60 months, it seems like such a small amount of time in leadership development. I think we're in that fork of a road, fork in the road where it's a little bit of a mixed bag of having leadership of hard rules versus collaboration. There's there there's a need for that. Leaders need to have those tough, hard rules in order to either make a profit, move people into a certain direction, or collaborate. Now, this is a great example here in the United States. There's a change in leadership of a very large company called Disney. And the leader who was there was the icon, was one of the greatest leaders for that company for the longest time since Walt started it. This new leader has got so many divisions and factions and collaborations and cultures, and he's making some changes that will make some people happy, but other people not happy. And the world is progressing in one way, and it's staying stuck in its conservative roots in another. And it's just, I I, I really feel for the guy, because in the next five years, as he just started his tenure as the president of Disney, he is going to have to both have hard and fast rules, which is going to frustrate some, and he's going to have to collaborate, which is going to frustrate some. And so I think leadership in the next five years is trying to find its footing between being the authoritative person and that coaching culture. Yeah, very good. I love it. And um, it's interesting to see how many organizations, depending on the leader coming on board, how they go through those different changes and transitions and so forth, and whether it does mean that they're collaborating together well and they're actually gelling as an organization moving forward, or there is those factions and um, fractions and a whole lot of people whereby there's a lot of dysfunction as well that starts to happen. Um, And we've actually witnessed that as well in Hewlett-Packard over the years. You know, We had one CEO and he left. Nine months later, the new CEO left, and then then Meg Whitman came on as the CEO and how she turned that ship around within five years but stayed on for another two or three years after that just to make sure everything was well done. Uh, it was just, just an interesting set. And you, you think about HP, and you think that Carly Fiorina was running that play for a while. And what I remember from Carly is that she wanted to go on sales calls. So there's a leader who doesn't hide behind a desk or on an org chart. There are some leaders, even in multi-billion dollar corporations, who want to be in the field, who want to be closing that deal, who wants to lay that business card down that says, I am the president. The buck stops with me. That's an exciting, energetic thing if the person is cut for that. Mm. But other people are better in the financial side, the analytical side. Maybe they're a little bit introverted. And so maybe they should be left and building a phenomenal organization of people around them who are those extroverts and who could be that. Steve Ballmer versus Bill Gates. There's Microsoft example. Larry Ellison uh, for Oracle, uh, the gentleman who's running Salesforce. Uh, you know, just different people with different leadership styles and, and how all that changes. But to your point, Dennis, HP went through a, a pretty significant change, and yet they're still by far head and shoulders, one of the most successful analytic research, innovative companies that are out there in that space of technology. Yeah, absolutely. 
Hey, Kurt, this has been awesome talking with you. Thank you so much for joining us on today's show. If our listeners are wanting to get a hold of you, where should they go? The easiest place is just go to LinkedIn. Uh, my last name, it will be in the show notes there, T-U-E-F-F-E-R-T. There's only one of me out there, and we can connect, we can talk, we can chat. If you, if any of your listeners have any questions on leadership, please just go through LinkedIn, send me a message. I would love to be able to connect and communicate with you. Kurt, thank you so much once again. It's been, been a real pleasure talking to you. Thank you. Thanks, Dennis. Well, there you go, listeners. Leadership of hard and fast rules versus collaboration. Hey, listeners, what we as leaders know to be true is that change is constant. Change is incredibly scary, especially with the unknown and unfamiliar territory. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing. Look out for the episodes as they're being released. Download them, have a listen, put a review and a rating. Feel free to share them with your friends, your family, and your network. Hey, if there's any feedback you'd like to give me about the show, or if there's a question you have for the Ask Dennis Freestyle episode, then send me an email, dennis at leadingchangepartners.com. Hey, listeners, it's always a pleasure being with you. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time, bye for now. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leadership is Changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change, inspiring executives and leaders to adapt and lead a bigger game in a fast-moving world. 